The brief passage that we've just heard is the opening of a chapter that the Apostle Paul wrote, which we will be looking at not just today, but over the next two Sundays too. It's a favourite of many people. It's sometimes used as, by a couple as they exchange marriage vows. And it's also sometimes used at funerals. One might recall back in 97, if we're old enough, at the funeral of Diana, Princess of Wales. It was read by the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair, immediately before Elton John sang his rewritten Candle in the Wind, which maybe slightly upstaged him. It was used on that occasion to speak of a person as being loving. And perhaps at the same time, poke a finger in the eye of Charles, as it had also been used at their wedding. And of course, the marriage had not lasted in the way it had been hoped. So maybe its choice on the occasion of the funeral was not the most loving of actions. It's been widely commented that in the last week that the response to Diana's death and the arrangements for her funeral probably brought a, a new understanding to the royals uh, about their relationship with the public in a time of grief and shaped the marking of the, the death of the Duke of Edinburgh, whose funeral was yesterday. His service incorporated two quite different passages. Uh, Christ proclaiming himself to be the resurrection and the life, and an apocryphal passage on the power and wonder of the Creator. These, as Philip's personal choices, are, I'm sure you'll agree, are a statement of faith and wonder in God of his own belief. The use at other times of 1 Corinthians to speak of love in an earthly sense loses something of its context of what Paul was meaning as he wrote it. Although those of us who are believers might sometimes grab that and able to put, be able to put it into it. The chapter does not directly mention God. It doesn't name the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Their names are absent. However, if we were to read the chapters either side, if we were to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 14 or read the whole law all through, we would see a progression that is throughout talking of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit, how it blesses the church and how we as a church use the gifts, the blessings, and the opportunities we have. 
It is a rhetorical passage that Paul is using to challenge his readers and to move them forward. If we were to look at, instead of our English translated Bible, the Greek text that it was drawn from, we would find that the word love throughout this is agape, which is the love of God for humanity. And the love believers are called to have for God. It is a sacrificial love. It's a love of true outpouring. It calls us to put God's ways before our own. And as we do that, as we consider God's ways, it leads us to put others' needs before our own. So if we think God is not in the passage, as I suggested, well, actually, we'd be mistaken. And we have to remember what we can read in 1 John 4, that God is love. God is agape. God is sacrificial in his love for us. When we are praying in human language or the spiritual language of angels, the gifts of tongues, then our words must have God's sacrificial love within them. That love that sent his son to the earth and to take our place upon the cross. When we speak the truth in prophecy or preach, those words need to be sacrificially loving. However educated or how much knowledge we may have gained in life, it doesn't matter to hoots if we don't introduce it with God's love. We need that application of love in every element of our life. When we believe in God with a deep faith, you know, the sort of faith that can move mountains, even though it's maybe just as small as a mustard seed. But we have that faith, and what the world sees is that we don't put others' needs in preference of our own before our own personal desires. Uh, then we are not sacrificially loving. And we are not, even though we have faith, even though we know who God is, then we are not being God's people. And at the end of that brief passage of, of three verses, there's one that we might struggle to get our heads around. Because... It says that even when we are giving, even when we give all that we have away, if we don't do it with love, but do it because it's an obligation or a duty or a misplaced loyalty, then that giving everything away is not of God. It's simply giving it away. 
It's not from our heart. Our offerings to those in great need, our gifts to the church, to mission organizations, to the food bank, are not rituals. They're not obligations. But they should flow automatically from within. In the way that Jesus responded with healing touch whenever moved by his compassion. Pouring out in mercy without any limit. Agape is something we just do and should do without thinking. It's just someone who we need to be. And Paul tells us that without having this sort of love, we are nothing. We are not simply bad Christians, but we are non-existent. Without God first and foremost in our life, we are not of God. However, perhaps he is showing us where we need to head rather than pouring out judgment upon us today. He's saying this is who you should be. I imagine few, if any of us, actually measure up to that standard that Paul is putting before us. And we see that of people in the scriptures too. We see it in the passage that Simon was giving us last week when he was preaching on John 21, Jesus asked Peter two times, do you have agape? Do you have agape? And Peter replies, I've got Philo. But Jesus himself modifies the word that third time as he was cancelling out those denials. And he says, do you have Philo? And Peter says, I have Philo. I have that love that is of preference. But if we continue reading our Bible, if we turn out of John into the book of Acts, you know, just turning over the page, you know, you're right at the end of John, John 21. If you go into the book of Acts and keep following Peter, what you see is that Philo, maybe changing a bit more agape. You know, when it comes to the likes of Acts 10 and 11, where the sheep descends from heaven in a vision, and Peter is told to eat, and he's going, oh, that's unclean. You know, he's expressing a preference. He's saying, oh, no, I'm not going to do unclean things. But then he is led from that time to a meeting with Cornelius and other Gentiles. And then there's subsequent relationship, and he suddenly realized that, actually, I do have love for these people, and that God loves these people. And he changes, and he actually goes back 
and teaches the other apostles about where their love should be, about where relationships need to be, about how God has poured out his Holy Spirit upon people of every background. No more preference, but agape. We each have room for growth, growth of love to come in our lives. And Peter had to go through that change, and Paul knew the church in Corinth had to go through that change. And the same of us in Linfield and wherever we may be. Whenever we share passive-aggressive thoughts, when we don't pause to think of another situation, when we think things must be done our way because that other person is wrong, that there's only one way to do it, when we are frustrated by something that is in reality inconsequential, we need to ask, Are we loving? Are we loving? Are we agape? Maybe each day at bedtime we we need to review our actions, the, the emails that we sent, our texts and WhatsApps, even as we move forward, our in person conversations. Asking ourselves, were they loving? Were they agape? Were they of God? Or was there a hidden underhand nature where we were trying to express our preference, where we were trying to push things our way? If they were not of God, we can try again the next day. Because we do have a God of unconditional love. We do have a God of agape who gives of himself, who offers forgiveness, who offers second chances without a limiting number. May we too seek to have that sacrificial love in our heart and may ever speak of our faith in God. Amen.